My, what a wonderful morning God's blessed us with. I praise him for his kindness. He doesn't have to meet with us the way that he has this morning, but it sure is a joy when he does. I uh, want to say thank you to the church and to the pastor. Uh, I don't know that I'm ever anywhere where I'm treated any better or uh, more kind, and I, I appreciate that. I thank you so much. Preachers are not received well outside the church, and sometimes not inside the church. And so it's just a real uh, joy to uh, be able to assemble with you and be here and be part of this meeting, probably the poorest link of the meeting, uh, but uh, thankful that I can be here. And then uh, I want to say thank you on behalf of uh, Brother Caleb King. He has really proven himself uh, before his home congregation. Uh, we, uh, uh, I, I encouraged our people uh, to uh, try to push him along as well uh, because he, he truly has been faithful. And I love Brother Caleb and thank you for following the leadership of the Lord. And uh, Brother Caleb, I, I came to the offering plate myself, son. I, I put 50 cent in for you. <laughs> Amen. Everybody needs a little help, don't they? Uh, <clears throat> wouldn't, uh, wouldn't you have loved for Brother Mark's daddy to have been your daddy? <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I remember when Lynn and I were first married, uh, went into a little single-wide trailer. That thing was about, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 45, 50 feet long. Uh, it, was, it was smaller than most people's RVs today. And uh, we lived in a trailer park. So my dad goes and uh, buys a piece of ground. He didn't let me look at it, anything like that. Uh, he just went and bought a piece of ground. He, he, he met with me a little later. He said, do you like living in that trailer park? And I said, well, no, I, I don't enjoy being in trailer park. He said, uh, I have a piece of ground. said, I just bought it, in fact. And said, uh, if, if you want it, you can make payments to me. And I said, well, wonderful. Where's it at? He made sure I was a long distance from the house. Uh, and uh, so he, we ended up up at a little place called Walnut Cove, North Carolina. And uh, he said, now, uh, we need to have a little talk before that we go through with this. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, if you think the bank will crush you if you don't make payments, he said, I'm worse. He said, y you don't make a payment to me, I'll drag that trailer out of there and I'll put a for sale sign on it in a minute and I'll wear you out in the boot. And I said, uh, thank you, daddy. <laughs> no extra money in my direction. I'll tell you. Now my mama would slip around. She'd slip around and bankrupt him for me, but, uh, but, but daddy was a little, he was a little strict on that stuff. <laughs> Hey, but brother, brother Mark, thank you for the wonderful message. Oh, there's not a preacher in this building, including myself, that uh, relishes the thought of preaching after that kind of preaching. I'm, I'm glad, though, to be around men uh, that have a touch of God on them. Powerful preaching, brother. Thank you for that. Uh, in fact, this morning, this is kind of unique. This morning, uh, have any of you men ever wrestled with a couple of messages? I mean, I, I, or am I the only odd duck? Uh, I, I, I had a couple of messages I was wrestling with. 
And uh, I was planning on uh, preaching, if I got my way this morning, preaching on Jairus. So probably not going to now. <laughs> you absolutely ruined that, brother. <laughs> There's no thunder left. <laughs> Oh, man, who knows, though, before we get through this week, maybe the Lord will uh, bring that around. I do want to ask you, if you would, please, I think uh, that God did settle my heart in even prior, uh, and I'm thankful for that now, for sure. Uh, Psalm 11, please, in your Bibles, Psalm 11. Uh, the Lord has me this way today uh, with uh, just a word that I trust will be a help to each and every one of us and in relation now to us having the privilege to step foot into a brand new clean slated year. Uh, we have the opportunity to see God do some great and wonderful things uh, and yet uh, as I'm in different locations, I don't know that I've ever witnessed uh, the local New Testament church in a weaker state. And I, I have to, in honesty, not throwing any cold water on anything, I have to say that I have been quite concerned in the fact that it appears that with all of the difficulties of our world that the air has been taken out of uh, most Christians. Uh, my, how we need a meeting like this to get started. We need for God to speak to our heart. One of the great uh, messages of the day that is most needed in my estimation is that God's people would have confidence in our God. Uh, we, we have been sucker punched greatly. Uh, we, we live in a land that is really becoming oppressive and Satan no longer shows any restraint whatsoever in our direction. And it seems as though that the people of God, the preachers, and the work of God in general, that used to stand flat-footed and square shoulders and dig our heels in and declare who we were, it seems as though that now we find ourselves uh, far too mute, and we find ourselves without that strength and energy that each and every one of us know we should have and wish that we had. Uh, I, I want to say to you that our God's still faithful. He's still faithful. Uh, it, it, no matter what time frame I live in, and no matter the difficulties that I personally face, it's not about me mustering up enough faith it's about him being faithful to me. And he's, he's continuing to push me along now in these days. And I'm just honored. I am highly honored to be a servant of the king. And to see what God does now in the days that are upon us. But the psalmist now encountered some days that were quite difficult according to Psalm 11. Notice with me as he opens this psalm. He says, in the Lord put I my trust. There have been so many times and in so many different regards that I have made the same statement as the psalmist here makes. Uh, there have been times when I have 
uh, been in that camp meeting fervor and seemed like that uh, uh, the Lord was swelling really large in my heart when uh, I, I could not be convinced that there's a devil that has ever been that could inflict any pain in my direction, that I was surfing higher and uh, far above all of the difficulties of this world and all of my own personal problems. And in those moments, I have said, in the Lord put I my trust. In fact, I've said it even more vehemently than that. In those times, I have many times shouted it, that it's in the Lord put I my trust. And, and, and I have sensed that it really rang that clarion bell within my heart that that's right, that's right. And then there have been times uh, when my circumstances have been far different. Haven't had my friends, haven't had my companions, haven't had those that uh, labor uh, with me for the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that we're not competitors uh, it, it's, it's good to get around your friends and family members, by the way. And we have the privilege to encourage one another and to, and to move forward for the cause of Christ. There have been times when I've been alone and I didn't sense that uh, I had uh, the nearness of one of my preacher friends or one of my praying uh, partners that helps me and keeps me before the throne. Uh, and... I have said in those moments, it is in the Lord put I my trust. But I said it at a lower octave. I still mean it. I still mean it. It's still true in my heart. But it sure is in softer tones. And it's with a bit of trepidation that I tread in those times. And I still declare I trust him. <laughs> I trust him. And then I've had times when I haven't just been lonely, but when I've been crushed, brokenhearted, felt as though there was really no way out of where I was at and that this is going to be my demise. This will be the end. This appears to be what will be the final mark upon my life. And, and now, I, I, can you believe I'm going to go out like this? And it seemed as though there's, there's no good exit strategy. And even in those moments, I have tilted my head toward my God. And I have said, even in a whimper, it's in thee that I put my trust. <laughs> and now today, here I am, standing here after these many years, and I would say to you that my trust has not been misplaced. <laughs> what a great God. It's not about me, it's all about Him. Isn't it wonderful that even though we have to whimper, dear Lord, I do trust you, you're, you're my God, and you're able uh, even though I feel as though I cannot go on, somehow he has always been faithful to keep me going on. I've been saved now 54 years. That's over half a century. And the Lord has proven himself to be faithful for the entire trip. I can recommend him highly for everyone in the building. 
And yet every time, whether I've been in, in that camp meeting zeal, whether I've been in lonely times or pressed uh, beyond measure, and when I have uh, stepped out on that moment of faith and I have just even tilted that head somewhat toward God and said, Dear Lord, I trust Thee. I trust Thee. That is the beginning of the voices that come in my direction. I do not believe that any of us will ever step out into that arena to where we declare our allegiance to our God and that we believe that He is everything He's ever declared Himself to be and that we can trust Him. I don't believe we ever step out there with statements such as that and it not be challenged. There's a real devil that begins to speak to us. And that's exactly what happened here with David. You'll notice he said, In the Lord put I my trust. I do not know the circumstances exactly here. And as I've said to you, it does not matter. But as soon as he makes that statement, How say ye to my soul? Now all of a sudden he's not, he's not speaking to the Lord anymore. He's not pledging to the Lord that he believes that he can trust in him. Now all of a sudden there's someone else in this scenario. And he says, How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. Now just as surely as he speaks to God, all of a sudden there's another entity in the text. And the devil raises his ugly head and opens his treacherous mouth and he begins then to taunt the psalmist as he will do every one of us. There is not one in here that will ever make the statement that you trust your God, that you have confidence in him and the devil not going to challenge that. He'll challenge it every time. That's one of the reasons that when we come out of meetings like this, when we come out of services like this, uh, it, it seems as though we'll fly high for a few days and then all of a sudden uh, everybody's needing some kind of psychiatric help because there is a real devil. There's a real devil and he's always going to challenge any move I make toward my God. And so here... Now, immediately the voices begin to come. And these voices are going to be attempting to dislodge that confidence that David has spoken of concerning his God, which has been the tactic of the devil since the beginning. He has always tried to challenge the authenticity of God. He walked into that garden as bold as brass, into the pristine creation of an almighty God. And there he speaks in a derogatory way concerning who God is. And this is his age-old tactic. And as soon as you declare that your God is a God that can be trusted, the voices will begin. And they will sometimes become extremely painful. 
Look with me in verse number two. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. Now, Satan comes in quickly and says, Oh, so you trust the Lord? You're one of those believers. Let me tell you what you better do. You better run for the hills. You better flee to the mountains because I am going to show you that your God is not faithful. I'm going to show you that he is not everything you believe him to be. So you better run, flee to the mountains like a bird, fly away. And I already have the bow bent in your direction. Now I'll never forget this, I trust, because it helped me then, it still helps me today when I think about it. I don't know that I've ever been around a greater general-like figure than Dr. Harold B. Seitler was. When I went to Tabernacle in 1980 to begin Bible college, in all honesty, as a young man, I didn't realize what God had really done for me. When he scrooched me up close to the caliber of man of Dr. Harold B. Seitler, and when I had the privilege to watch him and see him in his movements as he served the Lord and to hear him preach in such a wonderful fashion with the great touch of God on him. But I don't think I'll ever forget when he told about a time when he had brought that old silver eagle, I think it was a silver eagle, that old bus from Tabernacle and it was loaded out with people. I made a couple of those trips with him up into this area when he would always come up either to the Blue Ridge camp meeting or he would go over there to uh, uh, Brother Sexton's. Uh, what was that called? The Jubilee in the Sky. Ju Land of the Sky Jubilee. In fact, that was the particular one he talked about on this time when he happened to reveal in a moment while preaching uh, what had happened. He said that the bus loaded up and left from the meeting. The meeting had been grand. Everything had gone well. They start to drop off of the mountain coming off on 25 there as soon as you cross over in the South Carolina line and heading down that mountain. And he said, the devil, if the devil has ever spoken clearly to him, the voice began to say to him, I will kill you and all of this crowd coming down this mountain. You will not get safely to the bottom of this mountain. He said, uh, I've, I've had certain encounters, but nothing like that. He said, I don't know that this was one of the devils. It appeared to be just the devil himself. And he said, everything inside me became cold. He said, it was that real. The voices that spoke to me. And he said, I'd just come out of a meeting where God was so close to all of us. And now the devil is speaking to me and threatening me. David says, I feel the same way right here. Dr. Seitler said, the only thing I knew to do, said, I would not have dared. I think you could hear him. I would not have dared mention that to anybody else on that bus. He said, that was my battle. <laughs> and the old general <laughs> waxed eloquent in the battle. And he said, I began to pray. 
And I said, dear God in heaven, I still trust you. I still trust you. I still trust you. He said, they didn't understand it when we hit the low country down there and hit the bottom of the hill. But he said, I shouted. <laughs> His God had been faithful to him. But that doesn't stop the voices. And the voices in this day are hindering us greatly. It says, for lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make them ready, their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. Uh, they have no ethical behavior about their warfare. The, the bow is bent, but they're not in front of you. They're hiding behind the bush. And this is the way the devil, the devil attacks us. So many times I've had pastors now in 2023, I've had them say to me, Brother Finney, I never saw that one coming. I've never saw it. I, I sure would have appreciated a red flag somewhere. It would have been good had I been able to maybe see it coming. Maybe I could have headed something off. One of the worst things that ever hit my world. I never saw the first red flag. And the great torment of going through that moment was the fact that I was blind in the midst of it. And the devil has no ethical behavior. He, it's not a wrestling match where he's going to meet you head on and, and where you're going to be able to somehow know how to work with your opponent. Rather, he's going to hide behind something and pull the arrow back in the bow, and he's ready to release it as soon as you can't see what's coming, and it's quiet. It's quiet. And all of a sudden, there's nothing left but the pain of the attack. So now David says, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. And the voices began. But then in verse number three, the devil goes, I think, a little far. He says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, this is a taunting. He says, you know you are not an idiot. You can look around and you know that the foundations have been destroyed. If your God was that great. If he can really be trusted, why are your foundations in such bad shape? It is a valid point, isn't it? I mean, uh, most of us who have lived a, a reasonable length of time, uh, we understand when we look around that many of the foundations that we always were accustomed to, now it seems as though they've crumbled. There are no moral moorings and foundations left in America. Our moral foundations are gone. We have all politicians and no statesmen. We have no leadership left in America. The foundations of leadership are gone. Washington, D.C. sits on a rubble of trash just waiting for the methane gases to explode. We look around and we see the foundations that are gone, and yet, and yet the truth is, not all foundations are destroyed. 
You see, the devil, he does taunt us and mess with us with a lot of truth, but he's also willing to lie. There's a foundation in the Word of God that he hasn't been able to shatter at all. Now he, he, is, he is expert in lying and taunting us. But I'm going to have to be honest now as I try to preach this. He hasn't been able to touch this one. <laughs> this foundation still secure. The foundation of the bride of Christ the foundation of the family of God. He hasn't even scratched it good. There's a God in heaven who has protected us all along the way. And even though it looks like we be diminished, the truth is he's always prospered us. He has always prospered us. The foundations are not all destroyed. But oh, how he'll make you look around and believe that they are. And then he asks this question as though he's going to just fly in my face and spit in the face of every preacher in my hearing. And he says to us, what can the righteous do? What can you do, big boy? What can you do, Christian mother? What can you do, Christian daddy? What can you do, Christian preacher? Who are you? If I can destroy something as grand as an entire country called the United States of America, if I can shake her foundations the way I have, what can you do? What can your church do sitting in a local area and trying to labor for the cause of Christ, scratching and clawing for every small advancement that it appears that we can? What can you do? And it's almost as though the hound out of hell laughs in our face. But the psalmist comes up with some pretty good response. What can I do? Well, look at verse number four. He says, I can declare that the Lord is in his holy temple. What can I do? I can declare the permanence of my God. He said, the Lord is. He is. He is. Back before you calibrated time, the Lord is. In all of the struggles that the church has gone through, the Lord in every generation is. Today, He is. And if you can calibrate another million years, He is. No matter what the devil says or taunts and moves in our direction, our God is. He's permanent, permanent. I remember my little granny telling me when my world was wrecked and ruined. She was the first person ever taught me John 3.16. She laid that big old black back Bible in my lap. I wasn't saved and she was trying to get me to Jesus. She'd already told my grandfather, said, 
said, you've carried all the rest of the children, my children and all your grandboys down there that still and you're carrying them with you to hell. She said, this one's mine. And she threw me down on that little old couch and it was falling down. Everything in the drunkard's home was falling back. She put me down on that couch. She laid that big old Bible in my lap, big as a piece of Samsonite luggage. And she began to Read and preach John 3.16. And I'll never forget her saying to me, Tony, it, it doesn't look like God loves you. And all, I, I'm, what a preacher. <laughs> it doesn't look like God loves you. Said uh, your father's walked off and left you and, and the whole world has just seemed like turned against you. It doesn't look like God loves you. It doesn't look like God loves uh, your mama. doesn't look like God loves me, does it? But he does. And she said, you know how I know he does? said, this book says he does. And she just kept tapping it. said, it says he does. It says he does. says he does. And then she crawled up close to my face. She said, and he proved it on Calvary. Because he gave himself. <laughs> and she had preached to me. And she would teach me that verse in those days. And all I know to tell you is that all the way back in that day, now when my grandmother had no earthly reason to be happy, when she had no earthly reason to, to be able to live her life without Dr. Phil, I'm telling you, that woman could stay happy in Jesus. She'd walk through that little old house. Uh, that, I mean, there wasn't a floor intact anywhere. There wasn't, there wasn't a piece of furniture that had all its legs left on it. That raging grandfather of mine uh, she didn't have one set of dishes that matched. She didn't have enough silverware to place a table. But she'd walk through that house and she'd be singing to Jesus. And she was happy in the Lord. And he gave her victory in the midst of that nonsense. Now I'm telling you, he, he in that day, the Lord was with her. He was present. Permanent. And what she was telling me as her little old grandson was, you wait till you get to my age, you'll find out he's still there. He's good for every generation. He is still on the throne. He's still present. He's permanent. Permanent. Everything else shifting, moving. He's stationary. He's with us. The Lord is. And then notice, if you will, it says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He is, but I'm going to tell you something else. Thank you, preacher. He is sovereign. <laughs> He's sovereign. All these little, all these little ten-horn dictators running around the world, and all these wannabe dictators. And all of them wanting to run something big, be something big, and wanting to uh, cause people to be afraid of them. I'm telling you, there's one. There's one who sits upon the throne above all the affairs of man, and he's still just as sovereign as he's ever been. He is Lord. Do you hear me? He's Lord. None of this stuff down here has rattled him yet. And, and, and they're, not, they're not operating outside of the guidelines that he's placed on them. He may have given them a lot of leash in this day, 
But I promise you, he's still in control. He's Lord. He's still the authority. He hasn't had to have any psychiatric help. He, he has never yet, never yet said, don't believe I'm going to be able to make it through. <laughs> He's Lord. And when this thing goes just a little too far down here, he proves it. Have you, ever, have you ever been amazed how this whole crowd tries to shut down Jesus all the time? They just don't want anything to do with Jesus. And then Christmas rolls around on them. <laughs> Jesus just gets, keeps popping up everywhere. I've preached now out in rural areas. I've preached deep in the country. I've preached in the swamps. I've preached in the mountains. I've preached in the cities. And in the cities, they try to shut him up more than everywhere. And when you get deep into the inner city, buddy, I'm telling you, the devils, they just try to keep Jesus quiet. And before you know it, there'll be some little old street preacher standing there on the corner. And he'll have his signs on. (laughs) And they hate him. They despise him. But Jesus just keeps popping up everywhere. He's Lord. And there's not one thing, not one thing happening in all of the global events that God Almighty hasn't really looked at that thing. He allowed it to go here and go there and do whatever goes, but it's only going to go to wherever he puts a boundary on it. I'm telling you, he's still Lord. He's not just Lord, he's living. And he loves me. There's a God in heaven who is Lord and he loves the likes of me. And guess what? If you're one of his children, he loves you. He loves you. He'll choke out this whole crowd down here on your behalf if necessary. I believe that. I believe it with all my heart. It's nothing to my God to prove to everybody around about that I'm still in control. He's been doing that a long time. He's still about doing it today. He's permanent and he's Lord, sovereign, sovereign. And then notice, if you will, what can the righteous do? Well, we can take courage in the knowledge of our God. Notice the Bible says, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Now CNN, they try to get everywhere. With all their little old cameras, and they run around, they get their, those big old long lens. They try to draw in every little snooping thing they can. And all the paparazzi run around after this star and that star. And then MSNBC gets involved. And they try to, they try to know everything and scoop out everything. And then Fox News comes in, they try to take the high road. But they still stupid, just like the rest of them. They just, they just all really want to see what's going on. And, but they can't even touch the smallest little hidden thing. And then they'll, they'll get up there and they'll convene in the greatest halls of Congress and Senate. And, and, and they'll sit and they'll say, now we're going to investigate this. Have you ever noticed how that they can spend all that tax money and sit there and investigate everything and come up and say, uh, well, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> it's just, it, it, they can't see it. They can't, 
But the Bible says, and I believe this with all my heart, what can the righteous do? We can recognize that there's one that when he investigates, buddy, he sees it all. It says his eyelids try it. I'm operating on some foul vision these days. I'm telling you, I've had cataract surgery in both eyes. They, they, they mess things up for me now. Uh, I, I've heard all the good stories with everybody else. But trust me, trust me, I'm telling you, it doesn't always go good. And every now and then it really gets bad, and I start seeing double. But my double's not like this. My double's like this. You're stacked, and one of you is enough. I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm struggling to, to see. But one thing I do know, I've always struggled to see. One thing I do know is even when I didn't have my help of my glasses, I'd squint. That's nature's way of reducing that area of focus where you bring it down. The Bible said right here, the psalmist said, what can I do? I can recognize it. My God really does know how to focus. Now, he's not going to have to squint on anything. You understand that? But he's saying here, if he needed to, he would to get all the details. He's going to see it all. People, people come in our churches and they, uh, you know, they, we, we see what they look like here. He slips out there and sees what they're like everywhere. He squints on us. But he's not talking about here squinting on us. The beautiful part of this is the psalmist says, now you come and you fly in my face and you try to get me to doubt my God. Let me tell you what my God's doing. My God's, he's bringing you into focus. He knows, he knows what a lousy devil you are. He sees all the corruption. He sees all the, all the trouble. He sees all of the activity of devils. And he doesn't miss a thing. What can I do? I can trust there's an all-seeing God. None of this is getting by him. You know why it frustrates you so bad? Same reason it frustrates me so bad if I think on it too long. They're getting by with it. Oh, that tears my nerves up. That makes this redneck want to do something about it. They're getting by with it. They're not getting by with anything. He sees. He sees. And the beautiful thing, and David says, I'm not through telling you what we can do. <laughs> I'm not through telling you what we can do. He said, not only does he see all these things, but notice he's a righteous God. In verses 5 and 6. Now the Lord trieth the righteous. He's been squinting on them. He trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Now that bothers the, uh, the real liberal Christian and the uh, little pansy Christian. That tears their nerves up. You mean you... Have a God that's going to settle all these scores. And uh, it seems like it makes you happy. Let me go on record telling you this. That in God's timing, when he settles all this in that valley of Armageddon, 
one of the, one of the greatest cheerleaders he's going to have is this preacher. And when he throws that devil in hell, I'm going to shout forever. What my God does is right. And he's righteous. He's righteous. And all of the wickedness out here that everybody thinks they're getting by with. And all the oppression against the church that everybody thinks they're getting by with. They're not getting by with anything. And there's coming a day. Now, like Abraham, I don't want to see it right now. I don't want to see it right now. God was good to show me mercy. I want to plead for Sodom and Gomorrah right now. I don't, I, I don't want to be that, that one that says, Oh, Lord, so you're going down there to burn them? Ha! Glory! Barbecue them for me. Oh, no. No, I, it's not time for that. But when it's time for that, it's going to be right. I'm going to shout. I'm going to shout because my God's going to set this thing right. There's a devil that has tormented me, tormented my family, tormented my church family, tormented the people of God. He has taunted my God. I'm telling you, when my God lays hands on him, I'm going to shout. He's a righteous God. And what David is saying now to the questioning of Satan when Satan looks at him and says, what can the righteous do? David says, I'm going to tell you what the righteous can do. I'm watching the clock tick. My God, my God is going to settle this score. There come a time when he's going to bind you and throw you in hell. That's what I can do. And I plan on going back on Sunday morning and preaching it again. <laughs> That's what I can do. That's what I can do. And then notice, if you will, in the latter part of the, of the psalm, he says in verse number 7, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. He said, uh, here's what I can do in these days. I can count on my God loving his people. Too much to do us wrong. <laughs> For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Are you here today and you're righteous? If you are, it's because he made you righteous. He loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. He's taking care of me. He's taking care of you. He knows where you are. He knows your house number. He, he loves you. What can I do in these days when it seems like the wheels have come off? I can stand whether I do it uh, being ginned up with a great meeting or whether I do it with a whimper. I can stand and declare in the face of the devil. There's a God in heaven who's still Lord and he loves me. He's for me. I still believe him. I still believe him. That's what we can do. And I believe that God honors that. And when you think about it, that's what God's people's had to do in every generation. I had a young man say to me not long ago, oh, he, he, he was all tore up. In fact, he wasn't just saying it to me. He was, uh, he was testifying, one of those good testimony services, 
I don't know if he had gotten over in that other area or what, but I think he started trying to testify. And he started telling about how that uh, he, you know, his young man, he, had, he was serving the Lord and he was excited uh, about being saved and he had tried to share the gospel and, and uh, they, they just didn't want to receive it. None of his friends, you know, wanted to receive it and they were all just calling him names and stuff like that. And by the time he gets to the end of his testimony, <laughs> they turn on me like wolves. I'm telling you, it's just hard to be a Christian in these days. And so it was time at the end of that testimony for me to pull a Larry Raines on him. <laughs> I said, son, I love you. I love you, but that whipper's just not going to get her done. <laughs> I got saved in 1970 and I walked into the public school system with a Bible under my arm and I began to tell them what had happened to me and my hippie friends didn't like it either. And they cursed me and they talked trash to me. It's been this way in every generation. It's never been easy to be a Christian. We've been swimming upstream the whole trip. But we got a God in heaven. Same God that pushed my little granny along is pushing me along. What can the righteous do? You can rest assured that your God is Lord. He's living and he loves you. His eyes are not only on the wicked. His eyes are on those that he loves. We have to testify to it, don't we? There's not a one of you came to a Monday morning meeting because you have just weathered a lot of storms and you have a stronger constitution than anybody else. Oh, no. There's a real big God kept you going. Preacher, you've had the wind knocked out of you a lot of times, haven't you? You have, had not you, Brother Moore? Brother Brian, had the wind knocked out of you a lot of times. Brother Suttles, man, you've taken it to the gut, haven't you, brother? You're not here this morning because you're just a stronger personality than somebody else. Brother Whittemore, you've taken a few licks. Not here this morning because you're strong. You're here this morning because you got a big God behind you. <laughs> Brother Doug, you, you, you've been in here now long enough. You've been pastoring long enough. <laughs> we don't get in this to, to have recreation, do we? <laughs> it's tough along the way. You take some licks. You're here this morning. Because of him. What can I do? I can still look square in the face of that devil and tell him. You look like you're scoring right now. <laughs> but let me tell you something. My God wins. I am on the right side. And he's going to take care of us. God bless you. I'm through preaching. I love you.